Welcome to the Make Money Behave podcast, where we talk about your money, your circumstances, and the small changes in your behavior that will have a big impact on both. My name is Maria Casillas, and I am honored to be your host. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Make Money Behave podcast. Today, I am honored to have one of my favorite people on as a guest today. Her name is Barbie Klingenmeyer, and I can say it. Don't ask me to spell it. She'll do that for you later. Uh, Barbie, welcome to the Make Money Behave podcast. I'm so glad to have you here today. Hi, thank you. Thanks for having me. You are very, very welcome. It is so great to have you. We are going to be talking about Living trusts and wills. No, living wills and trusts, right? I can, I screw well, that up. They're living trusts. Okay. And living wills are a separate document that we might touch base on, but. Okay. We'll but Very good. Well, see, even I don't know what the heck we're talking about. And so that's why we <laughs> want to talk about this today uh, because there are just so many questions and I think misnomers around this whole topic. And one of my favorite things about what you do, Barbie, is be able to break this down for the common person like myself and really help us understand what it is that we're getting ourselves into, mm-hmm. what is the purpose of it, and and really how can we ask the right questions uh, in, when we're trying to figure out what to do. So um, let's go ahead and get started with just telling us a little bit about who you are, who you work with and for, and then what, like, kind of what, what made you want to start doing this in the first place? Sure. So my name is Barbie. Thanks again for having me. Um, And I work for Desert Financial in the estate planning group. So the wills and trusts group. Um, So I am an employee of the credit union and wills and trusts and powers of attorney are a service that the credit union's been offering um, to members and non-members for close to 15 years now. And um, I'm not an attorney, so I'm not going to attempt to give anyone legal advice. Mm -hmm. Um, We're certified document preparers, which is a program that's allowed um, and approved by the Supreme Court of Arizona for non-attorneys to create the legal documents. Okay. So So you um, mentioned Arizona. Is this a very state-specific option mm -hmm. for people? Okay. So if somebody's listening in another state or another country, they may need to actually consult a lawyer for this right they might in their state depending on what's allowed in their state arizona allows for non-attorneys and attorneys to create documents um and some of the laws are very state by state um so we would talk about general or factual information but yeah it would be important for them to check how the documents are created in their state that they reside in or own property Perfect. Mm -hmm. perfect okay very good i didn't mean to interrupt you go ahead no you're fine um So I do work directly for the credit union and we are certified and this is what I do on a daily basis is really my job is to get people the education that they need so that they can understand what documents are available, how the documents work together, and that way they can make an educated decision on what's right for them. So there's not a set if you have this situation, you need this, or in this situation, you need that. It really is based on people's goals and how they want things to unfold. And we can talk a little bit, you know, a higher level of which which documents do what, um, because there is a lot of confusion, especially since the documents use the same words and, um, you know, between them. So um, that way, I feel like that has a lot to do with why people get overwhelmed and confused with the process. I agree. Um, because there's a lot of moving parts. And that's what we do is just help people understand what those parts are so that they can get through it because it is a really important process for everyone to get through. So Awesome. Well, I do want to address a little bit about why it's such an important process for Mm -hmm. people. Uh, However, before I do that, I just want to point out one of the things that I really, really resonate with what you just said, Barbie, was that there's not this prescriptive approach to what people will need. Like if you have this amount of assets, then you need X, Y, and Z. I really appreciate that you take a moment to understand what that person or that couple's or that family's goal is, what is their overall desire, how do they want to be remembered, like, you know, just what's the impact they want to make, and then you help them to, from that knowledge, dissect what it is that they're supposed Mm -hmm. to be doing. And so that's just very much how I operate in my coaching business as well, and I think that's maybe why you and I connected so well, and (laughs) and just really, I mean, it's it's one thing, if you have to go to a lawyer, you have to go to a lawyer, you know, Um, but what I really love about the service that you offer is that, A, it's not an hourly charge, so it's actually very affordable 
affordable and B, you really do have that heart of a teacher, that heart of a servant. So you have sat and, and just walked through the process. I can say that from personal experience because my husband and I created our documents. I'm just going to say it like that because I sometimes I still don't even remember what we did, um, but I trust that you helped us. And, uh, and you know, whoever is listening today, just know, especially if you're in Arizona, that we, we have taken up a few hours for sure of Barbie's time. And um, she's just been very, very patient with us. So I love that that's the approach that you take. And, and I appreciate that. It's so. a lot of moving parts for people. And sometimes they don't even really know what their goals are. And the process is to help get them through that. So yes, yes. And we will talk a little bit today about some of the, the bombshell questions that come up right. and some of the emotional turmoil that I know my husband and I went through when you asked us some of those questions. And that way, some of my listeners can be aware of like, hey, this is a totally normal thing that you might go through. But before we do that, let's touch base a little bit on what is the importance of this? Like, why why do we do this in the first why place? Do, so most people will start to plan their estate for a couple of reasons. And the primary reasons are to avoid probate, because in mm-hmm. Arizona, you can completely avoid probate. Um, another important reason to plan ahead is to prepare for incapacitation, because Sometimes it's due to age and other times it's due to a physical or mental issue or sometimes it's temporary and sometimes it's long term. So Mm -hmm. incapacitation is a doctor says you can't make decisions for yourself. So having the forms to say who can make decisions for you is important. Mm -hmm. Um, And another reason people prepare ahead is to avoid extra taxes to make sure that their goals are they're accomplishing their goals as their end result in their documents. So, because if you don't have a plan, the state has one for you Mm -hmm. and it's not cheap for them to implement their plan in that probate process. And it's not always how you want it to go. So it's important. I'm a big fan of you making those decisions for yourself. Yeah. So one one thing I heard you say, and it can be summed up really nicely, is that you're making the important decisions where they belong at home, not not in the court system, not with other people saying, well, this I, I knew her really well. This is kind of right. what she wanted. Uh, but you are actually making those for yourself mm-hmm. and and then deciding ahead of time who you trust to make them right. on your behalf. Who are the right people. Right. right. And in yeah. some cases, the decision is who are the wrong people. Right. And mm-hmm. it's making sure that the wrong people don't have that control. Um, and that you are picking your own agents and that they are doing right by you. So. Yeah. Well, and it sounds like you're also saving a lot of time and money and stress and heartache for the people that you love, the people that, yeah. you know, either that are that you're leaving behind in the event of mm-hmm. a death or the people who are just kind of left to make some of those decisions for you yeah. in the event of just an ailment that, that keeps yeah. you um, unable to do that for yourself. So. I what I did before we even recorded this podcast was to reach out to some of my listeners and say, hey, I'm going to talk to an expert. What are some of the things that you would be interested in knowing if you could know anything about living wills and trusts? And so if, with your permission, I'd like to just kind of read sure. some of the questions that came up. Some of them are almost laughable, um, not because they're uh, like a dumb question or anything, but because they are so real to what the person's situation is that they're like, they didn't even hold back. Um, I'll actually start with that one uh, because it just, it made me laugh when I, when I saw it, it said, um, my kids and teens, or sorry, my kids are teens. My family is crazy. (laughs) Who who should be in charge if something happens? Um, So I don't want to, I don't want to go down that answering that yet, because that's really going to be like, how do we choose who the trustee Mm -hmm. is and all of that? Um, So I don't want to go there yet. But that's just a a quick sample of some of the stuff that was given. (laughs) So yes, it is. And people are feeling this. They're like, you know, first of all, some of them are practical, like, well, when do we need it anyway? And how often should they be updated? And and so um, before we we do that, I'd like to just have you walk us through the process overall of what does that look like from the time someone calls you and says, you know what, I heard about this on a podcast, or I've been, if someone has been telling me for years, I need one, someone else said that on here said, I know I need one. Everyone tells me to create one, but here I have yet to do it. Um, if someone were to call you, what does the beginning of that process look like? Mm-hmm. So I usually assure them that everybody takes their own time to get started. Mm -hmm. I hear all the time that I should have done this years ago, or we've been thinking about doing this forever. And it's the unknown that really holds people back. So 
what we do is we break the process into a couple of appointments where the first appointment we would talk about what are your goals? How do you want this to work out? What's the dynamic? How do you not want it to work out? And just sometimes talking through those things really helps them determine what the goals are if they haven't already, um, how they need to approach the different documents and what documents will accomplish their goal versus what won't. Mm -hmm. So that's a big piece of it. And then we take that information and create a draft of the documents. So that way they can see in black and white what their decisions are. And then the the gaps are obvious and some things still need to get fine-tuned. And once once we get it all fine-tuned with them, then we would schedule a signing. So it's usually about a four to six week process. And it's typically about three appointments. For some people, it's a little bit longer. For others, it's really straightforward and it's boom, 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 and they're done. Um, But we don't have a set time frame because we want to make sure that everybody's comfortable with their decisions before we're signing it in the documents. So, yeah. So the number one thing I heard in there is you don't have to have all the answers before right. you, before you decide to move through right. with this process. And I think that that is one of the things that holds people back. Uh, yeah. And I, I, especially if you know that you're paying a lawyer per you know dollar per hour, uh, yeah. you might feel like, Hey, I, I really kind of want to have most of this stuff put together. Yeah. Um, so if, if people are not in Arizona, they're not lucky like we are and they they actually need to go to a lawyer specifically are there mm-hmm. are there any like specific questions or resources that people could go to so that they could do a little bit more of that preparation that that mental preparation ahead of time do you know of any of those or have you not needed them because you're in there's, this area yeah there's so much information and misinformation on the internet and yeah. a lot of times even though people will come into my office and say i need a trust I'll typically have two questions after that. Why do you need a trust and who says you need a trust? (laughs) Because there are different types of trust. And most people, when it comes to state planning, they're looking for a revocable living trust. And Mm -hmm. the, the main function of that is to transfer the wealth from you to your beneficiaries and have some protection for that and that process. And so... But there are different reasons people want trust or think they need trust. And so I like to ask them, why do you think you need one? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what goal is it that, you know, and sometimes they go, I don't know. My All my friends said, well, it's important that, you know, you're not getting advice from neighbors and friends, even if it's a free consultation to talk to an attorney in your state on um, what are the options. But that's my job is to help people understand what the options are mm-hmm. so that they can make those decisions. Mm-hmm. And it's really giving them that education to help them get there. So awesome. So you mentioned Barbie that there is uh, like one of the main reasons for a revocable living trust is to transfer your wealth from from you to your heirs or your um, mm-hmm. your kids or whoever. What 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 are, what do you define as wealth? And what if you don't have any? <laughs> well, so it, you know it, again though it comes down to the goals because mm-hmm. I've helped people set up trusts who have very little. Mm-hmm. But the goal is they need certain control over that money when they're gone. Okay. So there's not a set number to if you have this much in assets, you should have a trust or you shouldn't have a trust. It really comes down to how do you want this to work out and how do you what are your needs on how this goes if you're incapacitated or passed. And for some people, especially people who have children with special needs, or maybe children who have some um, particular issues like drug or spending issues, um, or sometimes people do it just to streamline the process because they don't want to create a conflict in a family where conflict doesn't already exist. Mm -hmm. So there are lots of reasons um, that people will set up one type of document versus another. Yeah. And I think one of the things that I I heard in that was that even if you don't have amassed wealth now, it doesn't mean that that you can't get some of this stuff in place now. Um, that's the difference between a revocable one and an irrevocable one. Because if you, if you do an irrevocable one, you're kind of, I, I shouldn't be speaking out of turn. I honestly don't know what I'm talking about right now. This is me just thinking out <laughs> loud. Um, an irrevocable one, don't you kind of almost have to have your stuff in place first so that you, because then it can't be changed. Like you're giving, right. you're literally giving whatever you have away. Uh, whereas right. the, whereas what we're talking about right now is the revocable trust mm-hmm. where we're really, it's, it's not a special account. It is a document and it basically tells 
whoever's in charge. This, these are the wishes. This, this is how this is to be handled. Uh, and so as you grow in wealth, your document grows with you. Is that is that a fair statement? So the term revocable living trust, one of the reasons why it's called living is it's it's a dynamic document that's meant to live with you. So you're right in that it can change as time goes on. And okay. a lot of times people will set it up when the kids are very young and come back later and update when the kids are old enough to take control when they're gone. So mm-hmm. uh, some people need lots of updates as life goes on and other people update very little, maybe because they've forgotten or maybe because it just, there was nothing major that changed in their life. So, um, but it is different than an irrevocable trust because with a revocable trust, the, the creator of the document still owns all the assets. Mm -hmm. That's one of the big misconceptions is that you have a trust, you're giving your assets to the trust. And you, if you get sued, you're not going to lose the house, but a, a revocable trust you still own everything under your social security number. The trust doesn't own anything on its own until the creators or the owners of it pass. Mm -hmm. So an irrevocable trust is set up as a separate entity from the get-go. It has its own tax ID number, and those are not your assets anymore. And for most of us, it's not practical because I want to decide when I sell the house and I want to pull money out of the bank account when I want to pull money out of the bank account. So it's usually the very wealthy, the very elderly that are looking to set up an irrevocable trust. And part of that goal is I don't want to own these assets anymore for whatever reason. So Mm -hmm. um, it is much different because you don't own those assets anymore. And like I said, for most of us, that's not just a a practical way to to go about it. So yeah, no, I think that's really a a very good way to say it. And, um, and I appreciate you showing the difference there, because Mm -hmm. I think that people do kind of get confused as to what each type is, Mm -hmm. and and why do we do it in the first place. One of the things that you just said that I really, really love, and I want to hone in on is that while you're living, you are still the owner of all of that. Mm -hmm. And that was one of those things that when my husband and I sat down with you. I'm pretty sure I said that to you at least 450, 450 times, um, like just to be sure. Like, so I'm choosing this other person over here, but while I'm alive, and I think right. I gave you like every possible scenario, right? Like, okay, if he dies first and then I'm there, I'm totally in charge, right? Like I don't lose any of that. And, and technically I could change things and, and take his whole family off, which I would never do. If any of your family, my family's listening, you know, I would never do that to you. Um, but, but I was just trying to really understand like, yeah, like what is what does this all look like? Because I am very detail oriented and I want to understand before I jump in. Uh, and you have been super patient with us on that. So I, I do appreciate that. Um, but that was one of the biggest differences because as I grew up hearing about trust, it was always in the context of what my experience was. And my experience was with a grandfather or a grandmother and that, you know, my, my father took over the trust or he was a trustee. And so he was in charge while they were alive. So hearing about the whole living trusting was absolutely it was just it was something totally different and it was it was it, the the way it works and how it's set up and and how who gets the control and that's that's another piece of what it is the, the control right like mm-hmm. where, yes and power that is like how how did all that work so um so somebody is saying like how often does something need to be updated? You just kind of answered that. Uh, it's it, at least with the living trust, it's like you only have to update it as life really changes, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, and and I'm trying to think. So there's five D's usually that we go through uh, to answer when should I update my trust. And okay. usually one of the D's is death, mm-hmm. divorce, a diagnosis, um, maybe the laws changing dictate the review of the documents and the last day I've been sitting here thinking, what's the last day? <laughs> <laughs> I have oh, the same problem. <laughs> if it's been more than 10 years since you've oh, looked decade. at the documents. Decade. Okay. So, That's really, really great. Could you repeat those for those people who are yes. trying to take notes? I mean, decade. Okay. So yeah. there's death, divorce, uh-huh. a diagnosis of maybe an illness, um, a dictate, maybe the law dictates that something has to change. And then whether or not it's been more than 10 years, so a decade. Wow, that's that's fantastic. That's nothing that you and I, in all the times we've talked about this, that's never come up. So I'm really, I'm really appreciative of the person who asked that question because um, I think that's really fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I want to talk a little bit about the trustee, like choosing the trustee. So we're, we're going to come to this lovely lady. Um, her name's Lori. And she's the one who said, my kids are teens. My family's crazy. Who should be in charge if charge. something happens? And and I know I, I chuckled a little bit at that. Again, not because I'm laughing at her, but because that is such a real fear for people, right? Like they're like, like no one could do this as well as I could do this. Like that's all of our thoughts. And so I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Sure. And there are plenty of times that people come into my office and say, I'm here to make sure my brother doesn't get anything. Mm. So they have certain sometimes they know who they don't want in charge, yeah. but deciding who should be in charge can be a tricky thing. And it's definitely someone that you can trust regardless of whether they live here in state, you know, regardless of their proximity. Mm-hmm. It's someone that you are in essence giving control of your mini corporation to when you can't control it anymore. And sometimes that person is also the same person that's going to take care of any minor children. So these are big, heavy decisions that you know, might not be clear. Um, And sometimes I have to tell people you have to make your best choice now. And five years from now, that might be a different best choice. And that's Mm -hmm. why you review these documents periodically, because relationships change, or maybe their their decision making process has changed. And so, you know, or the kids are grown now, and they can handle it. So the most important piece is having someone take over that can be trusted is going to do right by you because mm-hmm. you are giving them all the powers with the assets that you had during your lifetime. So, right. and that might be power to take care of you and that might be the power to liquidate everything and distribute to your beneficiaries when you're gone. Mm-hmm. So now you do have some say in that, right? Like if you, um, if you specifically want that individual to liquidate all of your assets and distribute them, do you, what do you use for that? Is that the will that you use to write that in? Or is that part of the trust? The trust document's job is to write out the rules of engagement on what the expectations are and how this goes. And most of the time people are giving the successor trustee enough elbow room to make a good decision. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they're tightening things down a little bit, like this house will go to this person or sell this house and pay this. And so it really depends on the goals of the plan. Um, But in most cases, people are are giving the successor trustee enough elbow room to handle it however's best. Because you can't write into a document, don't sell the house. And the selling of the house, the timing of it, is best left up to a successor trustee in the moment in some cases, because you don't know what the market's going to be. You don't know, um, you know, whether renting it makes more sense or maybe one of the kids needs to live in the house at the time. So exactly, um, you can get really lost in the weeds on what the conditions can be. Mm-hmm. And um, sometimes it comes down to, well, we just need to make the, the right choice now and, review that whether or not it's right later. (laughs) Right. No, and I really like that approach because I think, uh, you know, a lot of times with my clients, we talk about analysis paralysis. Like you can absolutely just not move in any direction, good, bad, or otherwise, because you're so stuck just trying to get it all right and try to think through it all. And I can tell you that that is one of the major mental blocks that happens. At least it happened with us with this whole process as well. Um, and, and we can talk a little bit about some of the emotional roller coaster that happens right. when, we, when we do this. Um, but yeah, I could absolutely see that. And so you're, re- you're really just trying to Take as much control as you can now over the future with what you know now about the future. And then you're just kind of saying, you know what, when it's my time to go, I, I can relinquish some of that control too, because I'm not, I'm no longer here. We don't need to rule everything from the right. grave is the point. Right. right. And everybody feels differently on it because there's some cases where I say, okay, if you and the kids are gone, where does the money go? And some people are very particular where the money goes after them. And other people are like, if we're all dead, who cares? Mm-hmm. So, you know, and there's sometimes where I ask a question and we're joking and other times I ask the same question and someone's sobbing. So Mm -hmm. everybody comes to this table from a different perspective and not just from a different perspective, but from a different point or season in their life that sometimes people are at the table because there's been a diagnosis or something they've seen or something that's going on that makes it stressful to, but necessary to go through the process. And And, and probably more real. I mean, I I can say like for us, it was more of a, for lack of a better word, more of a checkbox 
for us, right. right? It was kind of like, okay, well, we, we have the money to do this. We know that we should do this. And then Barbie posed the question, why do you think you should do it? And who said so? Um, and so we had to kind of go through that process ourselves. But it really was, in the beginning, more of a checkbox. Like, this is something yeah. that when we were 42, 44, 42 when we started, 43 now, and probably 44 by the time we get it done, because you know, <laughs> that's a whole other story. Um, but we're in our mid-40s, and it's like our, our chances of death happening naturally right now are, are pretty slim. So there's not as much of an emotional component to right. the beginning of it. Uh, right. For us, a lot of that emotional component came in the process of it. And it was more along the lines of, oh, I didn't think about that. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. why would you even ask that? I mean, even some of the, we've done wills before and we've changed them as well. That even some of the questions that we had to answer for the wills, we thought we had prepared ourselves pretty well. And then you asked one question. I'm like, Oh, that never even crossed my mind. Well, and that's um, part of it is you don't know what needs to be decided until I start asking questions. Yes. All the time. Yes. And the, then at that point, talking about the pros and cons, and I don't know how anybody creates these documents themselves. To me, it's like dentistry. I would never try to do my own dentistry. You I just wouldn't. don't know. <laughs> <laughs> not only would I not try to do my own, I wouldn't try to do anyone that I absolutely no, like. So, I also, um, <laughs> oil, there's just too much risk involved there. Right, exactly. <laughs> Yeah. So um, <laughs> I love that. There is one question that came up while you were talking about, you know, the kids and, and who's going to have charge of the money. Mm-hmm. You didn't explicitly say it. I just want to make sure that I explicitly bring it out. The person who is in charge of your kids does not also have to be the person who's in charge of the money. So could you just right. talk real quickly yeah. about that? Yeah. And that really comes down to how you feel about it, because some people want the person who's in charge of the kids to also have control of the money because mm-hmm. they feel like it's just easier that way. And other people think, no, the person I want who can love the kids the best if I'm gone isn't maybe financially savvy to handle the business part of it. So yeah. sometimes for checks and balances, the wish is that there are two different people handle it. Yes. And um and, and that if that's the way it needs to be, then that's the way it needs to be. So. Yeah, I just wanted to point that out in case somebody is stuck in that analysis paralysis yeah. where they're like, I need to find the one person or one couple that can do both and because yeah. maybe they thought that that was the requirement. And so I just want them to hear that is not a requirement. You do have mm-hmm. the capacity to right. assign different roles to different people and, yeah. and that's okay. So don't let that be the thing that right. stops you. <laughs> well, and especially for people who have children with special needs, it's a heavier, more lifelong decision for the child's lifespan also, right? Mm -hmm. And in some cases, it's siblings to that child that know that child best, but parents get nervous because maybe that person is a young adult and is not financially savvy or shouldn't, or sometimes they feel like it's too much burden to be in charge of all of it. So it really just depends on who the players are and what your options are. And in some cases, people have no option and they need to find a fiduciary to handle it for them. Or sometimes they go, well, we've got too many kids. They're going to fight. We don't want them to deal with any of it. So, you know, sometimes it's a third party is the best choice. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you saying all that. And and I love that you help people walk through that process. Mm -hmm. If that's one of the questions that they have. Um, I'd like to move on real quick to a very specific question. Um, and this is just from somebody who said, "What? how much does a divorce decree play into it? Um, you did mention earlier that divorce is one of the events, one of the D events that you want to make sure you go and change something. But what about somebody who is already divorced? And in this particular case, I happen to know her. Um, She also has a child or children with, you know, one or other past marriages. So I think that that's really the question there is like, how does that play into this if I'm going to create a trust? Usually divorce will change the documents because if you created them while you were married, everything says my spouse, or maybe you had joint assets and you had a joint trust. So sometimes that will change it. Okay. Um, when you're divorced and you no longer have a spouse, there's not a automatic go-to agent for you in that case. And so maybe some different selections need to be made. And maybe the backup plan has changed because the backup successor trustee or POA was your sister-in-law. So, okay. um, Divorce definitely changes people's documents because they're maybe going from having all joint assets to now I have my own single assets and I'm going to make different decisions on my agents going forward. Okay. So in some cases it requires all new documents. Um, 
it really depends on what was created during the marriage. Because sometimes people come to a marriage with separate assets, so they already have separate documents. Mm-hmm. So. so what about the person who is divorced and does not yet have a trust in place? Does mm-hmm. that play into some of the decision-making that they're having to do as well? And I think, I think that the reason that it's being asked, and she didn't tell me this, I'm just guessing, that because there are... Um, there are probably legal stipulations around the kids and, and, you know, custody and all of that stuff is how does that play into it? If at all, I don't really know if it does. So the divorce will dictate what the line in the sand is between the, who owns what that's part of the divorce process is to divvy those things up. And if she has assets that she owns now that are her sole assets after the divorce, then she, she can create documents to help protect those things and make sure they go to the right people. But um, it, so being divorced or the divorce paperwork itself doesn't really play into the process other than it draws the line in the sand between, OK, now I own these things singly. OK. And in some cases, the divorce will dictate things like this house you will always own together and goes to the children. So in a case like that, the divorce paperwork will handle that asset. And maybe she has separate assets that still need to be protected or go to the children or whatever the case may be. So, um, but sometimes the divorce is the change that brings people in. Um, And other times now that I'm divorced, I don't have anyone who's going to automatically show up at the hospital that to make my decisions. So now Mm -hmm. I need to put on, on paper who that should be. So Great distinction. Okay, very, very good. Um, I think that we have answered some of the questions that were here. Uh, so what I would like to find out, um, well, let me see here. There was somebody who said, how much does a trust typically cost? Hmm. So the answer there is going to be, it depends on what you need. Um, so a joint trust with us has certain pieces included in it. Mm -hmm. And I'm leery to throw a price out there because it's not going to apply to everybody. But typically a trust package or setup will include the living trust, the certificate of trust, the pour over will, the powers of attorney for financial and for medical, and a deed on the primary home if necessary. And then there are additional costs um, on additional deeds, but not everybody needs all those pieces or sometimes they have an old trust they're updating or we only need to update our power of attorney. So if a couple comes in and says, we don't have any documents, we need a joint trust, then um, for us, typically 1600 will cover everything for them. But it depends on do they have additional property? Um, do they have um, do they have businesses that need to be pointed to the trust? And so we we look at that individually because we do customize it depending mm-hmm. on what you need. Mm-hmm. So it's not a blanket. Everyone would pay this. But. Right. Yeah, that's a good answer. I think some people just want to know, like, hey, if I want to start prepping myself for yeah. this process, you know, what's a good amount to save up? Right. So it sounds like anywhere from one to two thousand dollars would be an important ballpark for them to at least wrap their mind around it and and have that to to for us it rarely gets to two thousand dollars depend unless they have additional property that yeah but we do have listeners that are not in arizona and that you know live in much more expensive states some might live in cheaper states um so i just want them to kind of have an idea Mm -hmm. like this is a good place to start so um so those of you who are listening like she said there's not a blanket number that we can give you but that's a really good ballpark Mm -hmm. to um to be able to save up for if this is one of the things that you want to do all right let's jump into some of that emotional roller coaster stuff that Mm -hmm. we've been alluding to through this entire (laughs) entire process i mean i half jokingly said that you know i was 42 when we started i'm 43 now and i'll be 40 when I'm done, but I was only half joking. Um, I'm sure I was 42 when I started talking to you and thinking about how all this was going to work. I'm pretty sure that I was 43 when we started the process and we finally are going to be signing our thing in in about a month. So, I mean, it's, it's so funny because she said, Oh, it takes about six months. Yeah. For the typical regular person, it probably does. However, I'm not said typical regular person. Um, (laughs) Most people it's four to six weeks, but sometimes it's four to six months. See, see, I was trying to give myself a little, a little bit of grace there. Thanks. (laughs) Okay. The the decisions are really, 
I, I feel like at least having the draft in black and white kind of makes the good decisions stick out as good or yeah. maybe stick out as bad. And I so, agree. I agree. You no, know, you can spin a lot of wheels trying to get to that point. And a lot of times I have to tell people, okay, let's just get this on paper yeah. and then see how you feel about it. Cause yeah. it is a, a lot of how you feel about it. So. Yeah. I think in our case, I mean, for anyone who is just like, Oh my gosh, does it really take that long? No, not really. It's, it's only, <laughs> it's not even, it wasn't even all of the emotional stuff. I'd be happy to share what some of those emotional roller coaster moments were. Um, but for us, I think it was more along the lines of just, it was, there was not that urgency that I alluded to before. Um, And so we, we paid for it. It's like, okay, that was that checkbox that was taken care of. We we don't have to plan for that anymore. We started doing that. And, and then we, we just hit pause because there wasn't that sense of urgency. Exactly. Exactly. Um, So I am excited to get that taken care of because as you and I have said before, like, okay, so we've paid for it and we've gone through that whole process. We've done all the heavy lifting. All we need to do is sign the dumb thing. And if we don't sign it, then it was all for naught. Like it was as if it never existed. Exactly. So, um, so I know that, and that's why that's on our top priority list right now. Um, but I can tell you when we were doing some of the questioning and stuff, the question that really got me, uh, and it, it wasn't like it wasn't like it made me, you know, weep. It didn't make me cry. It didn't it didn't make me do any of that mm-hmm. stuff. There wasn't that an emotional reaction. What there was was this thought provoking reaction. Mm-hmm. And the because I had been prepared for who want who do you want to take the kids now? By the way, we hadn't made that decision. I was just prepared for that question. So, right. um, so we had we knew that we're like, okay, who's going to be in charge if we leave? Blah 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 blah. But the question that you asked me was, if all six of you go at the same time, like the plane crash scenario or, you know, whatever, what do you want to do then? And, and I'm like, you know, that honestly never crossed my mind because the whole purpose of us doing this was for our children. Right. And when you took them out of the picture, it was like, yeah, I have no idea where where that would go. Um, Now, I can tell you that at the time, my husband just came up with a very quick answer. And I know I shouldn't, I'm not going to share all his stuff on here. Um, But he came up with very fast answer. And I was just like, sure, yeah, I'll just I'll do that too. But I remember because I was in the I was like rushing off to a meeting. I remember that. And I remember like telling you by text, Hey, that answer that I just gave you, I'm sure that's yeah. going to be changed. And I just need yeah. some time to figure out what that is. And, and yeah. of course you were very grace giving on that. Um, but I, what it did, and here's why I'm sharing this is because when I work with people just on their personal finances and, and I pride myself on helping them breathe life and meaning back into their personal finances. So it's so much more than numbers. It's actually like, who do you want to be? What, what do you want to be remembered for and why? And just like, what are some of the values that you have? Who's most important in your life? And this question hit that so hard. It was like, if I'm going to be so focused on who I want to help and, and how I want to impact the world while I'm here, why not also ask myself, how do I want that impact to carry on if and when I'm gone? And maybe right now I want to say, I want that to carry on through my children. Right. But what if they're not there to carry that on? Like, what if right. they're taken right there with me? And so it really made me go back and say, okay, what what services, what charities, what things are actually important, important to me right now? What values are there and what charities are are actually putting those values into place? And, and so, you know, my husband was very, very um, generous. He gave most of it to his family. And that's what I said. Yeah, just give it all to my family. And then I was like, I actually don't mind them having some of that. But I want to make a bigger impact. Like, if do I right now? Do I give all my money to my family? No, I actually give it to certain right. charities, and there's certain things that I want to do. So why not carry that on beyond the grave, right? And so that question was just one of those that it really made me start thinking philosophically and and practically. What does that look like? Now, it doesn't have to be a charitable contribution for everybody. Like, it could be you know something entirely different. But that question was like. If your initial why is no longer in the picture, what's right. the backup plan? What's the backup plan? And yeah. You know, and a lot of people struggle with that because, 
And that's one of the reasons why I'm a big fan of you making that decision, as difficult as it can be, because the state will say heirs by law, which mm-hmm. will be just half to his family, half to your family. And there's plenty of time when I ask that question that people go, no, I don't want my siblings to get that money or mm-hmm. I don't want this person to get that money. So I'm a big fan of opening that conversation, even though sometimes people look at me like, oh, no, <laughs> it's OK. You don't have to decide right now. But, right. you know. You want to decide whether or not that decision is important enough to you to not use the default or to, you know, make a different decision. So. Right. And in that same vein, uh, now I'll bring it into the, the couple's uh, dynamic. It was one thing to think beyond the grave for myself. But then when we had to when we had to join our wishes together, mm-hmm. that's where it was like, Oh, well, now now I really know how you feel about so and so and now I really know how you feel about you know, it's like it was it was just like all of this stuff and and the reality is it didn't really bring up how we feel about anybody. It's it's that whole idea of like who can who can replace you the best, you know? Right. And and that is that was such a difficult conversation and admittedly I don't even know that we that we feel like we have landed on the right thing. Right but we do not want to be stuck in those weeds, you know? Right. And if, well, we, if we're taking yeah. tomorrow, we, the state's going to decide. And, yeah. and so we're like, well, we'd rather make a decision now and, and go from there. And that was another thing that you helped us when we, when we said, here's what we're, what we're looking for. And, um, and there was like a, a small nuance in there. And what you helped us do was identify a loophole for that nuance so that we didn't stick somebody with a, just just so people know what I'm talking about. We chose a family member, but it was a family member who is also married and they're they're kind of a younger couple. And what we didn't want to happen was for the married person to be stuck with or obligated with taking on our children if for something if something had happened, whether they had gotten divorced or that, you know, he or she had passed away. And so we're like. How do we how do we do that so they don't they still feel very um, very trusted and and they are absolutely able to take on our children should they decide but we want to give them that burden. but we want to give them that empowered decision yeah and so what I loved was your ability to just from a thirty thousand foot view say hey here's a loophole that you can do that it will solve all the problems and it won't make anyone feel like untrusted and so that I think is one of the biggest reasons I would encourage anybody to not do this by themselves because you don't know what you don't know like you don't and you don't know the questions to ask yourself you know it's so and if you do know the questions you don't know the answers choice right yes yes exactly (laughs) (laughs) that's right that's right so it was definitely a learning experience for my husband and I I know that it's probably a learning experience for many other people as well and I just want you guys to know as you listen to this that there you can you can do all of the check boxes and you know get all of these things in place and I think there's a there's something really to be said about that but I think the biggest the biggest win that we had from it was the discussion that had to be had in order to make that happen. It made us realize a lot about ourselves, about ourselves as individuals, as a couple, as a family. Um, you know, it forced us to sit down and talk to our our 17 year old who will be 18 by the time this is all said and done. Um, but we can't put her in there because she's not 18 yet. And so, um, but we also knew we didn't want to burden her with a lot of that right away. Um, so we we plan fully to be in more contact with you, Barbie, over the next few years as as she grows older and as some of that stuff changes. And we'll just make changes as, as necessary. Uh, but we knew we didn't want to just wait until we were ready for her because we just, we never know. We just yeah. never know what's going to happen. Well, she's still figuring out a adulthood right yeah. so well so am I I mean <laughs> well let's get that's real why I tell that's why I tell my my the people that I help my clients my members that you know sometimes kids are lowercase a adults mm-hmm. and other capital case a adults you know and that's a moving target depends yeah. if they're a boy depends if they're a girl depends you know they're oldest or only so you you do want to make the best decision now and then review later and see how you feel about it later. So yeah. I, I do love that. I love I love the lack of permanence. Right. To, <laughs> That's to the this. beauty of the revocable. Yes. Yes. That it, it can be changed. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. This has brought up so much stuff. And I know I want to make sure that um, I know I just kind of haphazardly asked you some questions. Is there anything that I didn't ask you today that you're just mm-hmm. like, hey, I really want to make sure that her listeners understand X, Y and Z. 
Um, no, I think you had really good questions, and I think we could spend hours talking about different pieces of the process. And I think that's one of the reasons why it's important to reach out and speak with someone who sees this and knows this and does this, because there are things that there are plenty of times people come to the table saying, this is what I want to do. And I, and I have to go, have you thought about what if this happens and what if that happens? And that totally changes the game, right? Mm -hmm. Because they didn't know that's the way it would work or they didn't know that that could potentially happen. So I think it's important to not ask your friends and neighbors because as much as they love you and want to help you, they don't have the same goals that you do, right? Right. So, and I hear that a lot where people come in and say, all my friend says I should do this. And well, your friend's goals might be different than yours. And let's talk about why you need to do that. So, Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's more, there's not a blanket, these are the documents you need to get. It's more specific. It's more personal. And, and I think a lot of people don't realize that. Yeah. And, and I talk a lot about, you know, how personal finance is just that it's personal. And mm-hmm. so this is, it's very much in alignment with what, how I teach and, and how mm-hmm. I coach individuals. And so again, I think that's one of the reasons that I absolutely have no problems. Any, anybody who is interested in learning more who happens to be also in Arizona to you. So, so those individuals who are here in this state, what is a good way for them to get a hold of you? Sure. So if you're a member of the credit union or if you own an asset in Arizona, um, if you're not a member, mm-hmm. then um, Desert Financial can definitely help. And um, you can reach out to me specifically. Um, I'm on the website, Desert Financial website. There's a wealth management tab with wills and trusts and all my contact information is there. Um, And really we have reps throughout the Valley, but we do help um, people via Zoom, over the phone um, and meet in person at a branch that's convenient for you. Um, I would love for you to come and reach out and work with me if it's convenient. So that's- Absolutely. Yeah. And I did hear you throw in there that someone who has an asset in Arizona is eligible. So are you saying to me that if somebody lives in Illinois or Michigan or somewhere, but as long as they have some sort of asset that's here in Arizona, they are legally allowed to create that trust here? Mm-hmm. And does that, will that trust cover assets that are not in Arizona? Fantastic. Yeah, so the, That's a great loophole, you guys. Right. Well, <laughs> it's preferred to do it that way, depending on what state they reside in otherwise. But yeah. um, so it's an Arizona trust document and it's good in all 50 states. And it can also own assets in other states. It just means that if for some reason something had to come back for review or arbitration, it would come back to Arizona law because that's the status, that's the state that it was created in. So, wow. Okay. Okay. And then the last thing I'm going to do to clarify that is could you define an asset? Like, does it have to be a home or like if somebody has a business that's here or? It could be a business, can be a bank account with a credit union. Obviously, the big banks do business across several states, but um, so being a member, even if you live out of the state, counts. So how? So so do you have? You don't have to have a permanent residence in order to be a member of a credit union. Um, no, it depends on the credit union. So for Desert Financial, you have to live, work, or worship in a certain area, which I believe at the right now is Maricopa County, but I think that's opened up to other counties as well. So um, you don't, but it doesn't necessarily have to be a desert financial account if it's an Arizona asset. Mm. Okay. All right. See, look at me looking for all those loopholes to try to help as many people as we can. (laughs) (laughs) Like we're all about being legal. We want to make sure that we're legit and legal and also get creative with some of those legalities. (laughs) The credit union for the most part, has started doing this type of service because we see on a daily basis people come into the branches that don't have the right documents. I'm just trying to help mom. She's in a nursing home or my sister's been in a car accident and they're just trying to help that person, but they don't have the right documents they need. Mm -hmm. And it's heartbreaking to have to tell them, well, you're going to have to go to the courts to get what you need because we can't give you access to anything. And that is terrible news to break to someone who's already stressed, already you know, at max capacity. And so it's important to have those documents all set up ahead of time. And then the right people can show up and handle it and 
there's not as much stress involved with the situation. Yeah, I've actually seen that happen where, um, you know, people are, they just kind of tootle through life and they're, they, they don't have that as one of the check boxes on their list until something happens with their parent or their grandparent and they are, are personally their adult in charge. Child? Yes. The mom's ner- worst nightmare to show up at the hospital and not necessarily be able to make decisions or get records because that child is an adult. You can't just go into the bank and say, I'm his mom. (laughs) It doesn't work like that, right? Right. right. So So speaking of that, if there are younger listeners on here who maybe don't have um, any, maybe they don't feel like they have any assets. Maybe they don't feel like they have any, they don't have any children yet. They're no dependents. Maybe they're not even married. What what would be a, a good document for somebody like that just to get started so that if they're not if they're hearing you say, well, we probably don't need a trust yet. Now, what you just said was like, oh, but like, everybody th- needs powers of attorney. OK, so that's so, where they should start mm-hmm. with that. Is that something that is a little bit easier to do, like either for free or online or without as much guidance or um, sometimes, you- okay. but financial powers of attorney are another piece that I I seen the do-it-yourself and usually that's when people run into problems but okay. depends on the document and so the advantage is we come at that financial power of attorney from a financial institution perspective mm-hmm. and um, our document tends to be needier for that reason um, and but the healthcare powers of attorney are out there on the internet um, but I would say young adults it's important too that the young adults are making their decisions on who can handle you know, handle their accounts or talk to the doctors in a time of need, because Mm -hmm. it's not always, sometimes I'll have a mom call and say, my kids need these powers of attorney. Okay, great. I have to work with the kids directly because these are their decisions. Mm -hmm. And um, if they are an adult, they have to make their decisions for themselves. And sometimes it's not the way mom wants them to decide. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure more often (laughs) than not, probably. Um, An adult in that case is 18 still. Are we still... Are, are 18 year olds still considered adults? Okay. Mm-hmm. I know they're on insurance to like 25 or something like that. That's why I never know what, what is well, what anymore. Yeah. That's why they're still lowercase a adult, I think. Yeah. But you would have to go through the court system to get guardianship or conservatorship for anyone who is an adult. And, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that will be all very good and sobering information for it's my a whole daughter. Another topic. In another yes, topic. yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I mean, she's already stressed out about having to, you know, choose what she wants to do next, let alone, you know, how she wants to die. So um, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll not, we'll not bother her with that until no, she's no, at least 18. Um, <laughs> but it is good to hear that, like that it's, there, it sounds like there's a difference between a financial power of attorney and a medical yeah. power of attorney and, uh, or the health, I think you call it the health Sometimes they're general and it's a little okay. bit of one and a little bit of the other, but okay. um, we create them separate documents so that they're more specific. So, okay. So for young adults who maybe don't have any money, barely have a job, they might not need the financial one yet, but putting a healthcare one in place would be really sure. important for them. Okay. All right. Good. Well, this has been so, so helpful. Thank you very yeah, much for coming on today. It's always a pleasure talking to you. I promise we're going to get our signed super soon. Um, and so <laughs> so that way I can actually practice, but I'm on here preaching for everybody. Um, but I do really, seriously, from the bottom of my heart, I really appreciate all of the, the grace that you've given us, all of the walkthrough and, and just the patience with my God knows well, never ending questions. So thank you so much, yes. Barbie. You guys, thank you so much for tuning in today. As always, have a fantastic rest of your week. See you later. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Make Money Behave podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe to the show. Help spread the word about the Make Money Behave podcast by leaving a five-star review and sharing the show with a friend. If you'd like to connect directly with Maria, text the word podcast to 623-400-5225. In the meantime, don't just make money, make money behave.